In my uh, first 14 years of my life, I never once um, thought about Jesus. I did not know who he was. I had heard his name and I'd seen the pictures. I even remember praying to God specifically that um, I would believe in him if, if only my Little League game would not be rained out. You guys ever prayed this prayer before? But Jesus was uh, no one to me. But then I heard the claim that there was a man who lived a perfect, remarkable life, who died on a cross in Jerusalem about 34 A.D., and three days later was seen alive by many over a period of 40 days, and then seen ascending alive to heaven. Who could think of such a thing? And why? What was the point of such a story or an event? Let me tell you another story. There's a group of... uh, Galileans that were gathered in a second floor room in the city of Jerusalem about 80 miles from where they were from. These people were followers of a lay rabbi named Jesus who had been put to, de- who had been put to death about six weeks prior and whom they saw alive three days after that. And he was with them till about 10 days ago. He told them before he left that they should wait on a gift that he would send them. They had been faithful to pray since that promise And it was now the day of Pentecost when a new grain offering was offered and celebrated as a time of great provision from God for the harvest of their crops. As they were gathered together that morning, the promised spirit fell heavy on each member of the group that was in the room. And the group slowly made their way out to the street where they began to boast about things that that God had done in the languages of the people that were in the area. As they began to do this, the crowd began to gather toward them. And listen to what they could hear in their heart language. The people hearing the boasting of God were blown away and confused at the same time. What is happening? This was quite the scene. As a crowd gathered, an opportunity presented itself. Would someone share what was going on? Turn with me to Acts 2.22. As there was a pause in the crowd, a man stood up, and his name was Peter, and he said this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. This is God's story. Peter told this to a group of devout Jews and Jewish converts the morning of the celebration of Pentecost. And, and this is also the story of the people hearing God's story and responding to it. It's within Peter's act of obedience that the Holy Spirit worked to entice a response. This story shook my world to its core when I first heard it, and it shook many of yours, and I dare say it is shaking you right now. Today I want to spend a few minutes just talking and clarifying the gospel and about how we respond to it. Some of you in this room need to have this story of God clarified to you, and that's okay. The point of talking about this is so that we can be clear, uh, you can be clear to yourself and others when you take the obedient and loving decision to share God's story, when given the opportunity like Peter has in our passage today. Throughout Acts, we will see story after story this semester where we see ordinary men tell the story of God clearly and through the work of the Holy Spirit, men and women respond appropriately to it. When we hear God's story clearly and respond to it appropriately, God's story becomes our story. And so I want to give you kind of a fourfold prescription that Peter gives us here to help us understand... um, what he's telling us so that we can be clear about God's story and as if we give the opportunity and take it, how can we respond? You can show the slide with the giddy up. So it includes four things. It includes something about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, and about what he will do. It includes the blessing of the gospel, both individual and corporate. And then the last two things is that it includes a, uh, what is a correct response to the gospel and what is an incorrect response to the gospel. What does it mean if I respond appropriately and what does it not mean and what does it mean if I don't? And so first let's look at uh, the something about Jesus. Let's look particularly at verses 22 through 30, uh, 24, 32, 33, and 36. And so we're going to put um, just a little chart up here just kind of Uh, make sure that these are uh, front and center for you about what we're talking about. So we see in verse uh, 22 that talks about what is it about who, uh, we're talking about who Jesus is, and it says, um, Jesus the Nazarene, right? He was a man who showed himself to be of God through the miracles, signs, and wonders God did through him. This is really important. It's not just some guy and he didn't do just thing, but this thing, but he is a person who God showed who he was through the things that he did. He's not just some guy, he's God. He is God's anointed. He is the one that he is going to crown king when he gets through doing the things that he came to do. In verse 23, we we hear that it is God's plan to deliver him up to godless men and allow him to be put to death. That this king that has all power willingly lay down his life for us. That said, I will die for that people. I am their king and they are mine. And because he did this, God raised him up, which put an end to death, 
since death could not hold him, this king that could not die, this king that was raised up is our king, and he shows that he has power over everything. And Jesus is this king that God raised. Jesus the Nazarene proved himself to be the anointed Messiah that God talked about long ago. He is that person because he gave the signs and wonders and because he rose from the dead. In verse 32, we see that God raised him up. And in verse 33, it says, And because Jesus the Nazarene has been shown to be anointed, be the anointed Messiah whom David spoke of, on account of him being resurrected and appearing to many, he has ascended to his throne at the right hand of God and has poured forth his spirit just as he said he would. As he tells the crowd, he's like, you are seeing evidence of this right now. How often would it have been so helpful as God was moving in your life for somebody to come over and say, hey, you know what's going on? That's God. That is the Holy Spirit working in you. And the, window, and the men and women in, that, uh, in the hearing of the voices and the preaching of Peter heard that. In verse 36 it says, it relates to us that Jesus the Nazarene, the guy who you hung on a cross is now the high king. Lord of all and Messiah, our means of redemption. This is who Jesus is. This is who we need to relate. This is who Peter was sharing to them about. So as we communicate what it means to who Jesus is about what he has done and what he will do, we also need to include blessings of the gospel. See, hearing the story that we told, the Jewish people understood the blessings of it being true because of the blessed assurance of their background. They were waiting on Messiah. They were waiting on this king. They simply needed him to be pointed out that that Jesus, through the many signs and wonders that God raised from the dead, that Jesus is the king. They also had a strong sense of sin in all its forms. But we unfortunately do not. Typically, unless we were raised in church, we do not have this heritage of understanding what the king was or who he was. We don't have a king in this country. It is hard for us to understand covenant loyalty and allegiance and what that means. And so it needs to be explained to us. This is a part, as I've shared the gospel, that has been the hardest to reconcile for people because it it's outside of their experience. See, it's the difference for the Jewish people between waiting on Superman, right, and never having heard of him. See, somebody that's heard about Superman knows what he's about and what he can do, right? But if they haven't, they need to explain the context. <laughs> he can leap over buildings in a single bound and he can stop silver bullets. No, it's not silver, it's a werewolf. Sorry, I'm mixing the two. Faster than a bullet. I need to be told about Superman. As we think about this, about finding out, saying, pointing out who Jesus is and pointing out why we need him, that both require a correct response once he is pointed out. The person who is waiting needs to decide if he will take him up on the offer. 
But the person who has never met him needs a translation or added context about why he is a blessing. Why this king is a blessing, why this king is needed, what this king can do. To understand this blessing that comes from the story of God is to understand what it means for sin in our lives, for the effects of sin in our own person and to those around us, and the need for God to judge sin. And so uh, I'm going to put up a slide real quick, and I want you to work through. This is kind of a thing I need you to understand as it relates to the blessing of the gospel as you understand it for yourself and as you explain it to others. There are three uh, theological components to sin that we must consider, and there are multiple manifestations of this sin. The first component to sin is internal, that we sin against ourselves, and we let ourselves down. You experience this every day. Every day as you live and I live non-integrous lives, this takes a toll on us, doesn't it? The people that we want to be and the people that we are, the, peop- the things that we want to do and the things we actually do, we sin against ourselves because we are not the people that we want to be. And this wrecks havoc as it manifests itself in our attitudes, our emotions, as we talk over and over about anxiety that riddles our lives and fear of man and what might happen in the future, of not getting it right. These things trouble us so. These internal, these things that we do against ourselves, these ways that we let ourselves down, manifest themselves internally. And because these things are the case, then we sin against someone else. And this is how we oppress people. As we are feeling bad about ourselves, unsure of who we are and what we're doing, we lash out. We're angry. We do things out of spite. We withhold love. We're greedy. You understand the world we live in. You experience it every day. This is the horizontal theological component of sin. And you understand full well the horizontal manifestation of that sin. You experience it every day and you cry about it. And you're angry about it. And lastly, we have the, mer- the vertical. That we sin against God because this is not what he wants. Because we're unsettled in ourselves and because we sin against others, we sin against him. Because that's not how he created us to be. Based upon our dependent relationship with him, we are to live differently than that. And because we're away from him, we don't. And it manifests itself in defense against God and it results in death and judgment. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension gives us freedom from the sin in our lives that wreak havoc in heart, soul, mind, and body. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension saves others from us sinning against them by producing, teaching, and enabling new life. 
And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension saves us from the judgment that our sin necessitates. Those are the blessings of the gospel that we need to communicate, that we need to know in our own lives to live allegiant to him. And then the last two things, what is a correct and incorrect response to God's story? What is the consequence of each of these responses? Correct response yields salvation in all its fullness, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, connection to God's people, purpose, and identity. When I say yes to him, when I say I want to be allegiant to that king and not the many kings that I try to follow, that that is what it brings. Because that is what his kingdom is about. That he is a forgiving king. That he is an eternal king. That he is a king that wants to know us intimately, that wants to give us a purpose and an identity. But there also is an incorrect response to the news about the king. We might even call them curses. And so there are three components to God's judgment. The first is the privation of good, that we miss out on God and his blessings. I think that this is the one that we miss out on the most because we, uh, if we understand the, uh, the news of the gospel as offering us eternal life, that we are, we are missing out on the good that he wants now. We miss the good when we decide to not pledge our allegiance to him and live allegiantly to him. The second component of God's judgment, because there is a privation of good, that there is separation, that we are cast away from his presence. His presence is the place that we should want to be. He wants to be with us. Do we want to be with him? And lastly, there is punishment that we pay the penalty for our transgressions. See, it's not enough just to include what the appropriate response does, but at any point, there's a cost to not taking a job, to not taking a relationship, to not buying the car. (laughs) These are silly examples, I know, but this is the same case that there are that there are things that happen we are not responsive to God as we should be. We all respond to God's story correctly or incorrectly almost every day, and so for all, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can understand what it looks like to respond to God appropriately if we never have in our life or we do it inconsistently. Jesus was made king so that his people could live allegiantly obedient. As we close, I want you to look at verses 37 through 41. And I want you to see Peter's prescription for how to respond to God's story. The first thing we see there is there is a movement of the Spirit. He says that the people were pierced to the heart. That whatever they understood, it was moved in them, it was pricked, it was touched. 
that something needed to be done. And so we know this, that, they, that this happened because they answer, what shall we do to respond to this piercing? What shall we do to respond to this movement of the heart? And Peter so calmly says, repent. Be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. I said earlier that the story has, has shaken my world to its core, and I said that it's probably shaken yours, and it may be shaking some as we speak. And that is great, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's something else needed, and this idea of repentance. See, because the king has availed himself and he, we know who he is and we understand the blessings of his kingdom and his kingship, then we have to decide, am I going to be allegiant to that king? Because when we are allegiant to him, we can't be allegiant to anything else. Because allegiant obedience to him in my story changes everything. The forgiving king wants me to be his, and he won't tolerate me being anybody else's any longer. He says, this is what it means to be mine, and this is what it means to not be mine. I'm the king whether you like it or not, and there are consequences to not being allegiant. And so this is what the call to repentance is, to change your allegiance to whom you are obedient to. In the fall, Adam and Eve chose to be obedient to themselves. To say, I want to be king. I want to decide right and wrong. And we have all done that, and we all bear the consequence. You bear the consequence of me deciding what is right and wrong. I bear the consequence of you deciding what is right and wrong, because it is at odds. But when we live according to God's allegiance, we are not at odds anymore. We don't have a different identity. We have the same identity with the same king, the same father, the same forgiveness, the same life, the same spirit, the same blessings, the same mission. And this promise offers the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for me and for your families, and for any that are far off. Verse 39 says that there is no limit to those that can receive the promise that God's kingdom is huge. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. There is no one that need be left out. And so he says, respond then, be saved, come into this kingdom that offers life and forgiveness and blessing and joy and power. When I was faced with that, I understood that my kingdom that I was living in had none of those things. but yet I struggled to respond to it because I loved my crappy kingdom. I loved it. (laughs) It was mine. 
Luke 23, 25 was a call that I heeded. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one that will save it. For what is it a man if he gains his crappy kingdom and misses mine? When we respond appropriately, we receive the word. We receive God's story. We say that story is a story that I want to be my story. That when I share God's story, that I'm included in it. That it makes sense to me as people come up and I'm offered opportunity like Peter. And he says, people, the people are not drunk as you suppose. (laughs) But Jesus the Nazarene, who showed himself to be of God through many signs and wonders, has poured out the Spirit like he said he would. That is what you're seeing right now. And that is what you're feeling in your hearts. For those of you who are believers, I am assuming that you are feeling warmth and remembrance of what God has done for you. If you do not see him, I promise you that feeling is him drawing you. That feeling is asking you to respond. And I remember sitting in that seat and white-knuckling it. I'm not going to respond because I love my crappy kingdom. I don't know anything else. But he calls out to you, repent, leave it behind. There's a greater kingdom ahead of you. There are far, far better things ahead than what we leave behind. And so when we do this, they ask us to respond in baptism. What this means is so that all can see that as we put somebody in the water, And we ask them what their Christian confession is, is Jesus is Lord, and what that says is I, in my life, am allegiant to the high king. And we then say what? We practice a death ceremony, that we lay somebody down in the water, that everyone can see, says I want you to do this for all to see, that you lay yourself down in the water, that you're dead to your old life, you're dead to your old kingdom, And you arise to walk in newness of life. That they see that you've been dead to your old life and been raised to walk in a new one. He says that's why it's important. Not that it's salvific, but for those can see and and that you can testify to what has happened. And then finally it says these people will receive the Holy Spirit. So here is the end. Will you repent? Will you let Jesus of Nazareth be your king and your savior? For repentance requires both. For him to save you, he must become king to you. For those of you who have made this decision prior, it is a lifelong, daily decision. Repentance is a lifestyle. 